Hey, what's up guys? This is Alex Cook and this is going to be my Q3 market preview video. So I'm going to talk about what I'm seeing. As always, this is not intended to be investment advice. And the reason why I say that, not saying just to say that, just the reality is I can't tell who's watching this. So I don't know what your risk tolerance is because I don't even know who's watching this. So as far as what is suitable for you or not, you have to make that determination on your own. This is just for informational purposes. So do with that what you will. So First things first, let's get this out of the way. Uh, crypto got beat up hard in the last part of uh, Q2. So let's not beat around the bush. And whatever you take a 50 or 60% haircut, uh, even if you're up from earlier, it's just not pleasant. So I'm going to talk about crypto in this video a good amount because I still do think that this right now is the most important asset class to follow if you're looking at the 10-year macro trend. Uh, as always, markets are going to go up, markets are going to go down. Uh, there is an interest in, or there, there's a reason why I've taken such an interest in crypto. I'll talk about that. Uh, let's talk though about the sell-off first. So let's keep in mind that a lot of crypto is still retail money. And it was to the point that people were buying stuff like Dogecoin literally just because Elon Musk told them to. Like there wasn't really a lot of research or cognition into this. Not saying this to be some kind of like elitist or anything, but it's the reality of there's just a lot of money that just didn't know what they're doing. And the worst part was is that they were trading on leverage, meaning not only were they going into a very volatile asset class, but they were doing this on leverage. So cool website to follow. It's called BYBT, like Bybit. They will show you the liquidations data on crypto. And you could see when a lot of people got wiped out, uh, this coincided with uh, a lot of the market sell-offs. So why this is a big deal is that when people buy crypto on leverage, pushing it up to, say, Bitcoin 60000 when you see the price start to pull back a little bit, that can cause forced selling of leverage traders getting blown out of the positions, which pushes the price down even further, which blows out more leverage traders. Look, I, I cannot ethically recommend trading crypto on leverage because let's keep in mind this is not this is not rake t here like with stocks you can only margin up so much crypto is the wild west and you're, you're doing this on an already very volatile asset class where any given day it could be up or down you know by a lot a lot more compared to just traditional investments like stocks or bonds i think trading with leverage on crypto is just way too extreme to to really be recommended so i just can't ethically recommend it but that was a big part of the sell-off where you saw leverage traders get blown out of the position i do still think that the macro trend though is in motion so let's talk about that so bottom line up front like the idea that central banks can just print endlessly uh, but a couple rate hikes in 2023 that's going to just like fix all this uh I, I think, as this one guy said on the Bowtie Jungle, if you've been uh, following that whole uh, anonymous Twitter phenomenon, someone on the Bowtie Jungle said, this is Soviet Chernobyl-level delusion. And I honestly, you're, uh, you're, you're not wrong. So I'm going to pull up a chart. This is from JP Morgan Guide to the Market. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, bear with me. But if you're watching on video, you can see it. So this is the Federal Reserve balance sheet. And you can see that in 2008, it got gigantic. And then it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And we saw a little bit of tightening, but not really in 2019. Still didn't get to uh, the low watermark before 2008. And then it just exploded even further after COVID. So we have no idea what the second and third order effects of this are. So once people are saying, hey, the Fed is, has this plan to, to raise rates in 2023, I, I don't think they really have a plan. I think we're kind of in uncharted territory here. And especially when it seems like there is no glide path to get under 100% debt to GDP, 
like that that's issues no one seems to want to talk about but yeah we're over 100% debt to gdp and have been there for a while i remember when i was a kid there was at least a debate about the national debt and now it seems like uh, no one really seems to care and this is going to have in my opinion second and third order effects i believe that to be inflationary uh, let's also look at what's going on here. So, like, because we have driven interest rates so low, you have things like BlackRock pretty much buying whole neighborhoods at a time, you know, putting bids on houses at 20 to 50% above market cap or uh, above market price. And, you know, again, you can look this up yourself. This is going to have second and third order effects, which makes me wonder, like, are some of these institutions starting to uh, over leverage? Maybe. Now, we'll, we'll get to that uh, issue when, when we get there. I'm just saying, you know, be cognizant of that. But look, inflation is a reality, and it's gotten a point where it is now showing up in CPI and PPI inflation. We've seen it already with food prices. We've seen it with lumber prices. And back then, we were told, oh, no, 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 inflation isn't real. It's, it's not actually happening. And then it got a point where it actually did start showing up in CPI to the point where even the Fed has to admit that it's a reality. I mean, look, even corporate media, which is normally talking about like the Kardashians or whatever clickbait story they want to talk about, like even they're like being forced to now discuss this issue of inflation and rising costs. So... I don't think this is going to go away. And if anything, as we start seeing the last remaining lockdown municipalities reopen, we're seeing a lot of pent-up spending. Like from, from everything I've seen, uh, again, shout out to Bowtie Jungle for posting this. Uh, Las Vegas for 4th of July weekend was a madhouse, completely packed. So a lot of pent-up spending. This is going to be inflationary as velocity of money starts to mean revert back up. That multiplied by the huge monetary base that we printed just do the math. That is going to be inflationary in my opinion. So I don't think the macro story has gone away at all. One thing though that I think bears repeating is that it is easy to sort of just beat up on the Fed or say, hey, the Fed's doing this, the Fed's doing that. But like, let's keep in mind, it's the whole world that's printing money, not just the Fed. So going to go back to JP Morgan Guide to the Markets. Uh, this You can see this is what central banks around the world are doing. Uh, so I have this chart. If you're uh, if you're listening on, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, if you're on video, you can see this. Uh, but you can see that you know it, it's not just it's not just the Fed that that's doing this. Every central bank in the world has been printing like it's going out of style. I do wonder the second and third order effects though of what is going to happen when we try to just paper over a lockdown induced recession by just monetizing everything away. You know, perhaps maybe a more fiscal approach uh, might have been uh, might have made a bit more sense, or something to provide maybe a bit more in the terms of emergency loans to businesses. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I would say though that you know what benefit was it really to just drive interest rates from already low levels to even lower, or are we going to set ourselves up for some second and third order effects uh, going forward? I would suggest that may probably be the case. That is why I've been talking about crypto so much. So beating this dead horse, but you know, realize it's not just the U.S. that's been doing this. It's been it's every central bank around the world that's been printing. Now, that all being said, I do still think that we are early to the game when it comes to crypto. And the reason why I say that is in JP Morgan's Guide to the Markets deck, there was no mention of crypto at all. And that's just the mindset among institutional investors. I remember being on a conference call uh, about a couple months ago with uh, some people from the CFA Society of Dallas-Fort Worth, where they had a crypto hedge fund uh, giving a presentation. And there were still some uh, very basic questions being asked about crypto. And these are by people that are no slouches. Like these guys are at very respectable firms, uh, some very smart uh, financial professionals. But it's reality that this is still a misunderstood asset class. Like there are questions like, hey, do you have to buy a whole Bitcoin or can you buy a fractional Bitcoin? Or the questions like, hey, since Bitcoin is anonymous, blah, blah, blah. And we know that Bitcoin is very traceable. Like people have gone to jail for thinking that Bitcoin was untraceable and they tried to use it for illegal activities and then got uh, thrown in prison for, for their illegal activities. So we know Bitcoin is is traceable. 
Point being, though, is there is still this misunderstanding among institutional investors. Now, I predict over time that this understanding, this body of knowledge will grow. That is my prediction. Could be wrong, but that is my prediction. So in a way, I think that the fact that this has not really been mentioned yet in a lot of institutional literature, I do still think that this is early to the game when it comes to crypto, which is why I'm excited about the space and this is why I've talked so much about it in, in a lot of my content lately. One of the things that I want to talk about in this video is Nassim Taleb's criticism of Bitcoin. So let, let's get into that. So apologize if I mispronounce his name, but uh, he, he wrote a, a white paper uh, talking about why he no longer likes crypto. Because remember, he used to be a fan of crypto back in uh, 2017. He made a lot of statements about that when uh, Bitcoin was having its rally back then. Uh, short story is I have to just respectfully disagree with what he's saying, and there's also some other criticisms that I'm going to have of him. Uh, I'll get to that in a bit, but I want to first just address the substance of the issue itself right now. So in his paper, essentially, he says that Bitcoin, well, he, he says it has a value of zero, but his gist is that Bitcoin doesn't have value because it relies on network effects and because it doesn't have a cash flow. Now, Let's talk about the network effects first. So I would agree uh, in, in theory. Well, let, let, me, let me just write exactly what he says or say exactly what he says. He says, comment one, why Bitcoin is worth exactly zero. Gold and other precious metals are largely maintenance free, do not degrade over historical horizon and do not require maintenance to refresh their physical properties over time. Cryptocurrencies require a sustained amount of interest in them. Um, essentially what he's saying is that because crypto doesn't produce a cash flow, you can't value it with a DCF. And I agree. I've talked about this before. Uh, what I had said, though, is you can make the exact same arguments about gold or any other type of commodity like oil or timber. And you can't just walk into Home Depot and say, hey, give me all your timber because it doesn't produce a cash flow. Like they're just going to tell you to leave or, or a jewelry store. that You're not going to be able to say, hey, just give me all your gold because it's worth nothing. So even though we have a very hard time maybe being able to quantify the value, it does have some sort of value. Otherwise, people would just be giving it away. So again, like we, we could shout till we're blue in the face about discounted cash flow. At the end of the day, an asset is worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. And people are willing to pay something. We could argue that it's irrational. We could argue that it's weird, but they're still willing to pay it. So that does suggest that there is some form of value to it if people are finding some kind of utility. His argument, though, that Bitcoin only has value because of network effects, meaning that because people have an interest in it, um, I, I actually agree, but I would say you can make that exact same argument about gold as well. Just because gold has a historic precedent, just because it has that uh, Lindy phenomenon to it, that doesn't necessarily mean it, 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 it's any different. If anything, that makes my point further because, yes, I understand that Bitcoin or crypto in general, we could say Ethereum, we could say Chainlink, whatever, that it requires some sort of interest in it to build that network effect for it to have value. Like Again, like a fax machine isn't valuable because just one of it exists. It exists if there's a whole network of fax machines so that you could communicate on it. And now it's not worth anything because people use email. They use other modalities of communication I agree that it benefits from those network effects, Bitcoin, but what I would say is that we're still kind of in our early phases. So just saying that it, it has value because people say it has value, well, yes, that, that's a true statement, but you could say that about anything. So I, I don't think that argument quite passed muster. All right, so later on in the paper, he talks about how Bitcoin is not going to be uh, successful because of its uh, extreme price volatility. Uh, he also talks that it's going to be difficult to, to use it for actual payments of goods and services uh, because of that. 
Uh, and, and in fact, a lot of times when you've seen crypto payments, meaning like using crypto to buy goods and services, because you can do that now, like the, the Bitcoin pizza is a classic example. Uh, but w- when this has happened, people would convert their crypto into US dollars or, or euros, whatever the case may be. They convert it back to fiat. Uh, I, I would say as far as the price volatility, I agree that that is a concern. I don't think, though, that that invalidates crypto when it comes to the type of blockchain technology that could be used to, say, create smart contracts and automate a lot of business processes. So remember, what actually got me interested in crypto in the first place was Chainlink, the the ability that smart contracts could uh, really provide a lot of value for businesses. So I don't think that's invalidated at all by the price volatility. Uh, the second thing I would say is as the market gets bigger, the volatility might smooth out, meaning that you know crypto right now is about $1 or $2 trillion market cap. You know, by the time you watch it, who knows? Uh, that is about the worth of Apple, which is one company. Okay, how many companies in the S and P five hundred? Okay, five hundred. Okay, and that is one segment of the U.S. stock market, which is one segment of the global stock market as a whole, which is still small compared to the whole global bond market. Okay, and we haven't even talked about real estate or commodities or other types of investment classes, farmland, whatever you want to call it. So. I would say that this is still a very, very young asset class and that as it gets bigger, it's going to be harder to have these kind of, kind of extreme swings because let's say the market cap gets to $10 trillion or $20 trillion. Well, you're not going to have a case anymore where a guy like Elon Musk can just post on Twitter and then retail money can have a substantial impact on the price. Like That's just not going to be the case because it's going to be driven by institutional money. So it's going to take a substantially greater amount of capital to move the market. So I would suggest that as the market grows, we might start to see that volatility smooth out. Uh, lastly, I would also say is that as this expands, if this does become more of an instrument that, that's used for payments or, or whatever the case may be, is we may start seeing the rise of hedging instruments. So just like in the traditional fiat currency space, there's hedging instruments where you could hedge you know, against the euro, you could hedge against the Japanese yen, there's futures, there's forwards, like there, there's a very robust forex market for this. So you could uh, create fiat currency hedges, I would suggest that probably in the future, you would see something similar happen with crypto. And we're starting to see that already with CME futures for Bitcoin. I think that will expand. So I think the hedging opportunities would increase further, which could be a way to mitigate the volatility. All right. So when he talks to using crypto as uh, not really used for, for payments of goods and services that people are converting back to fiat, uh, I, again, I don't, I don't think this really invalidates anything because, you know, who is to say that we don't have a parallel system where crypto and fiat could exist side by side? You know, I am personally of the belief that we're still going to have fiat currency. Like, I am not a Bitcoin maximalist. Now, maybe you disagree with me. That's fine. But again, this is just my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. I think we could see a system where crypto, precious metals, and fiat all exist side by side. Like, remember, we have fiat currency now, even though we have precious metals. Like, one does not necessarily replace the other. Crypto could serve another purpose entirely for, you know, say, moving capital across international borders, maybe using as a hedge, or maybe using as uh, payments and goods and services in conjunction with fiat. So the fact that people are converting crypto to fiat to purchase goods and services, uh, especially given that this is a very young asset class still, you know, I, I don't think this invalidates uh, the, the, the model at all. Like, again, like you are going to sell out of your S&P 500 stocks to buy goods and services. Like you're not buying goods with shares of the SPY. You know, you probably could work out some kind of barter agreement where you do that. I'm just saying you don't do that. So I, I don't think the fact that fiat currency is still used for these transactions, I don't think that invalidates the model. So again, I just have to respectfully disagree with this. <clears throat> All 
Okay, so that's going to the substance of the argument. Now I just have to mention something else. And to use his own quote, to use uh, Taleb Taleb, and again, apologize for mispronounced the name, to use his own quote, if you see fraud and don't say there's fraud, then you're a fraud. And look, I just got to call it like I see it. Somewhere along the line, it seems like this dude has just lost his damn mind. And again, like some of his old school books, Fooled by Randomness, Black Swan, Anti-Frangel, still like the greatest of all time. Like still like mad respect for a lot of his older literature. But it seems like now he's just making provocative edgy statements just for the sake of being provocative like trying to start these weird like twitter beefs with random people like joe rogan like it's getting very weird uh i think i I don't know if like the success has gone to his head or something but it seems like he's just not open any type of contrarian thought um and look when it comes to stuff like politics or religion then sure like beat your drum into the ground like take your stand and, and you know do that but when it comes to money you got to see the world as it actually is. You can't see it like you want it to be. And in this case, you know, you got to have, in my opinion, a bit more of an open mind because the market doesn't care what your opinion is. The market is just going to do what it's going to do. So I think that got to have an open mind to this new reality that, may, uh, that we might be going into. And it seems like instead he just wants to call people imbeciles. That seems to be his favorite term. Uh, which, look, I, I'm not offended. I, I, I was in the army for just under five years, so you're, you're, it's going to take a lot more to get under my skin than, than that. Um, or just posting pictures of a squid ink pasta. Or um, finally, like the last thing that made me realize, all right, this, this is getting way too weird, is he writes this like love sonnet or love poem thing to Jeff Bezos. And uh, no, I'm not joking. Uh, that's when I was like, okay, this, this is just getting too weird. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tune this guy out a little bit. And again, you know, no disrespect to his old books, which I've still learned a lot from. Like, like seriously, you can learn a lot from his old books uh, when it comes to things like risk or how the market works. But uh, I just have to respectfully disagree with his opinions on crypto. And I want to give some kind of context on uh, some of his more uh, sort of bizarre online behavior lately. And I don't really know where that's coming from. But I have to give that sort of context behind it to maybe say, hey, you know, I, I don't really know what's going on here, but I can't really get on board with it. All right, let's talk about Elon Musk, obviously a name that's been popping up when it comes to crypto. So I saw a great article in Business Insider, which is like the best news I've seen in a while when it comes to crypto, and that's that people are starting to tune out Elon Musk. So look, no disrespect to what he's doing with Tesla. The cars are great. Uh, I think it's really interesting what he's doing with SpaceX, but look, one of the problems that you have in crypto is a lot of it is retail money, and they're literally buying stuff just because Elon told them to on Twitter. Like, don't don't do that. Do your own research. Like, we got to get people out of the short term mindset of just trying to like, just find a quick buck. You know, the reason why I did okay in Chainlink is because I was saying, hey, what could be a bit more long term, and uh, what could do a lot of uh, disruption in, in financial services potentially, or anything else with over the counter derivatives. Uh, by the way, I lost all my chain link in a boating accident, so uh, don't don't ask uh, how much I have. It's uh, it's very tragic. Just you know, there I was on the boat, and then uh, yeah, just my laptop and all my private keys uh, fell into the lake. So you know, what was me? Lost it all. But anyways, uh, so yeah, Elon Musk. Um, He's made some statements in Q2 about uh, about crypto that, again, I just have to respectfully disagree with. Like he, he brought up again the, the the sort of fud about how it's bad for the environment. Now, like th- this has been debunked so many times because you know one, you could use green energy to to run Bitcoin miners, so that that's an option. Uh, if anything, maybe it incentivizes the production of more green energy, and that would be a good thing. 
Uh, but moreover, it's not like traditional financial services or traditional class A commercial downtown sky rises are exactly the most energy efficient thing. I mean, with their air conditions, with the, with the lights and computers and IT systems and everything. So look, it's not exactly like the, the traditional financial system is the most energy efficient thing in the universe too. When, when you look at all the, all the IT, all the electronics that go into it either. So I have to push back on this saying that, hey, Bitcoin is this horrible thing for the environment. But uh, what I really got to bring up, though, is that, look, he's just way too smart to make a statement like that. I mean, this guy is, like, seriously, like, one of the smartest, if not the smartest engineer on the planet. So it kind of makes me wonder if he's saying stuff like this to maybe drive the price down so he could buy even more. I mean, I, I, I don't know where the statement is coming from, but for a guy like him to make a statement like that, I kind of have to question some of the motivations. I'll, I'll be honest. Now, when I see some uh, politicos on TV, you know, maybe making statements uh, against that, like going the environmental route, uh, what I think is, are they just getting pushed back maybe from some of their financial industry uh, campaign contributions? Uh, remember, like when people make some of these statements, think about who benefits behind that. So I would say keep that in mind when it comes to these like environmental concerns, because a lot of these concerns have already been addressed. So when I see someone that smart make a statement like that, I got to wonder where it's coming from. So fortunately, it looks like people are starting to tune him out when it comes to crypto. Again, great engineer, not disrespecting what he has to say with Tesla, but or you know what, what he's been doing with with the, with the cars that he's been building. But you gotta you gotta do your own research. Like, don't be buying stuff just because he's posting on Twitter. Like, that's that's not how we do things. All right, I do want to move on from crypto a little bit and talk about what I'm seeing kind of the macro economy as a whole. So. I would argue, and this may be an unpopular opinion, but I do still think that there may be some shaky ground in the economy. Now, don't start getting too mad at me just yet. Yes, I know there's a lot of pent-up spending. I know consumption is up. Look, I understand that. I understand that. Okay, I get that. But let's look at earnings per share growth and where that's been coming from. Uh, So I'm going to pull up JP Morgan uh, Guide to the Markets. Uh, This is from slide number eight. So a lot of the EPS growth, it actually came from margin meaning companies trying to improve profitability or cut costs rather than revenue growth. Okay, in my opinion, earnings growth through revenue growth is a, is a better sign of health. Now, I get that there's been a lot of pent-up demand spending, but I'll be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a valuation snapback at some point. So what we're seeing also is that right now, Ford PE on the S&P, it is higher than it was at the previous high watermark before the crash, uh, before the lockdown. I am wondering maybe if the market is getting a little carried away here. Now, granted, a lot of it is fueled purely by monetization, but I wonder how far is that gravy gravy train going to run? Now, if you remember, I made a video back in 2019 talking about how I was predicting a recession. Now, this is because the yield curve inverted. Now, yield curve is inverted now, but let's kind of take a look at what happened. You know, I I was predicting a recession anyways, that happened, but not the way that I expected it to happen. It happened because essentially we turned off the economy. We locked everybody down. So that created a, an artificial recession. I'm wondering if we might see a pullback anyway, because what we did is a lot of the underlying problems economy beforehand, we sort of just papered it all over by, by printing a lot. Well, what was capital going towards before the, before the COVID crash? Well, it was going to things like WeWork. Okay, it was going to trying to fund with VC yet another Tinder or yet another Instagram clone. Like it wasn't like it was going to like zero to one Peter Thiel style like high value type production. So I am wondering now if things like BlackRock buying these houses at twenty to fifty percent above market value, if this could 
potentially lead to some overheating and we might see evaluation snapback at some point. If that might be later in this year, maybe early next year, that's something that I'm keeping an eye on that, hey, are we maybe on shakier footing than we think we are? All right, the last thing that I want to mention, and this isn't necessarily a specific stock or crypto type of discussion, but it is a macro trend that I'm seeing. So something to think about when you're thinking about, hey, where macro-wise do you want to position yourself is what I'm seeing, and this is what people way smarter than me on the subject have to say, is that they're calling this the, the launch of Web 3.0. So Web 1.0, this is the old forums, you know, the old instant messengers and the Web 2.0. Uh, that is uh, what we were in in the 2010s. That was the age of social media, uh, the dominance of things like Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. To like, This is really where all the traffic was funneling through, like these mega sites. We're starting to see now the launch of Web 3.0, which is uh, more decentralized. It's kind of getting back to that concept of smaller websites that are more independently run. Uh, we're seeing the rise of things like censorship-resistant uh, communications, things like Telegram, things like Signal. Um, I'm more a Telegram guy personally. Be sure to follow my Telegram also. It's, uh, it's where I have a, a, lot of our, a lot of our discussions. Uh, you're seeing like new video platforms rise up. And uh, the, the real one that I think is really interesting is uh, Substack. So Substack, you know, big shout out to Mark Andreessen's team because it seems like he's doing a great job with that. Like I didn't even know what that was at the start of last year. Now, like there's so many people on Substack. Like it is really blowing up. And I think it's great for readers because they can only pay for what they want instead of having to get like a whole subscription newspaper. And it's, it's better for the journalists too because they can take their content straight to the readers without having this middleman or middlemen, you know, or a large institution like, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal or New York Times, whoever, like taking their cut as well, they can take their content straight to the readers. And frankly, it's probably going to lead to a better level of discourse because a lot of traffic nowadays, it has to come through clickbait. So you can make some incendiary topic. And even if people click on it to hate on it, even if they click on it to criticize it, well, it still clicks, which leads to ad revenue. And has this really been the best thing for society and like rational debate? Well, if we've been looking at the past 20 years, uh, no. So this, I think, will get people uh, back to long form where it's going to be more um, really discussion issues rather than just who can put out more shock value to, to rile things up and try to appeal to the lowest common denominator. Uh, what this means is I think we're going to see kind of a collapse in uh, traditional media. I think some institutions will still be around, but they're definitely going to get uh, taken down a peg. So I would suge uh, suggest as Web 3.0 starts to take off, Anything that relies on centralization, that might get taken down a peg. So when you're thinking of technology, when you're thinking of media type investments, I would say keep that in mind. Uh, one thing that I find really interesting, though, about this Web 3.0 phenomenon. So if you've been following the, the whole bowtie jungle uh, sort of phenomenon on Twitter, uh, these guys are all anonymous. Now, going back to Web 1.0, like it was considered weird to put your real name online. It's like, why'd you put your name on the Internet? Like there's crazy people out there. And then Web 2.0 with social media, it just kind of became normal, but... That also led to things like, you know, if you're talking about a controversial issue, then you have weirdos on the other side who don't have a job, just living in their mom's basement, like trying to just make stuff up about you and try to like, you know, send it to your boss or whatever to get you fired. And then turns out, you know, a week later that none of this even happened. That is just a fake story, but you're still fired and maybe you'll get your job back eventually. But still, you had to deal with a lot of, you know, nonsense stuff because just internet weirdos uh, or who knows, like Chinese psyops or whoever. Uh, decided to, you know, troll you. So Web 3.0, it's really interesting that things are getting back to that anonymous style communication or, or things like private forums that, that are members only. And it's not like the old V-Bulletin forums are old, but it's new things like uh, Mighty Networks 
or these Telegram groups or Wicker groups. I, I think it's really interesting where this trend is going. So I, I would keep an eye on that, the, the rise of Web 3.0. All right, so one last thing, it relates to that macro trend and everything that I've covered before, especially uh, you know things like work from home. I talked about that before, is uh, going back to the idea of centralization, maybe getting taken down a peg. I would still be bearish, and I've said this before, but I'd still be bearish on stuff like Class A commercial real estate in uh, some of the bigger cities. The reason why I say that is well, work from home, that alone is a game changer, uh, but just not, not just in the sense that maybe people need less offices, but where might they need less offices? So you know, for a long time, you had some cities uh, that kind of had a monopoly on the high-paying professional jobs, and that's just not necessarily going to be the case anymore. That you know, if, as we move maybe more towards the concept of uh, being a sovereign individual, you could... If you don't like where you live, you could just throw your laptop in a bag and you're on the next flight to Miami or the next flight to, to Dallas or Las Vegas, wherever, Puerto Rico, wherever. And then you, know, you may have a case where some of the real estate in these cities uh, gets taken down a peg. So I would say keep that in mind because that could have second, third order effects. Like if these cities are suddenly making less property tax revenue, what could that mean for public services? So I just keep that in trend in mind, but that is a trend that I do see in motion. So this is what I'm seeing going into Q3. Uh, you know, I talked about crypto a lot, but I am talking about it a lot because I do think that right now it is a, a very important story. I think it's a story that's not going to go away even despite the recent price pullback. So let me know what you think. Leave a comment. Um, I'm on a number of platforms now. I'm on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Going to keep expanding. Um, checking out some new video platforms that are up and coming as well. So let me know what you think. Uh, get on my Telegram group as well. It's where we have a lot of really interesting discussions. Uh, really want to hear actually your thoughts on the Telegram group about uh, Poirier McGregor. So, you know, we, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about MMA on there. We talk about music. So let me know what you guys think. And as always, thanks for watching.